Welcome to the Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. Priti Kotari is a child psychiatrist in Palm Beach County. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much as well. Attention deficit disorder, sometimes also called ADHD, is now considered to be a condition that begins in, in childhood and continues into adulthood. Today we want to focus, if we could, more on the condition as it is in childhood and also take a closer look at how it is treated. But one of the key issues is that it appears to be underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed. From your perspective, is, is this really a problem? What I feel is that it is possibly underdiagnosed in the adult population. There's only recently been a thoughtfulness and understanding that this diagnosis is not just a developmental diagnosis that persists through pediatric years, but can persist into adulthood for a portion of the patients that experienced it earlier. Therefore, some patients may outgrow the hyperactivity and impulsivity, more so boys than girls, as they enter the pubertal years but they may still have a hard time conquering inattention in their adult years, and it may have a tremendous impact on their work and marital life and social relationships. As far as underdiagnosis in the pediatric population, I feel the tide has actually been towards criticizing that psychiatrists are over-medicating children, that teachers are being highly critical, that it is a very demanding and competitive academic environment out there where it is becoming more and more difficult to get admission into universities, and and therefore, there has been this criticism that many times there has been sort of soft signs of attention or inattention or impulsivity that has been pushed to a diagnosis of ADHD too aggressively and medications have been too quick to be acted upon. So now we're talking about not underdiagnosing but overdiagnosing. I feel in the pediatric population, there's been a great deal of criticism about overdiagnosis. Well, let's look at this a little bit more. What are the, shall we say, diagnostic criteria and conundrums between ADD and or ADHD in a kid who is merely acting out a little bit? There are three subtypes to the ADHD diagnosis. There is a hyperactive impulsive subtype, a combined, and an inattentive subtype. Most children will come across as combined, having both hyperactive and inattentive symptoms. Namely, if we spoke about hyperactivity, having trouble sitting in class, excessively talkative, disruptive, fidgeting. When we talk about inattentiveness, some symptoms that stand out is perhaps finishing homework at home but forgetting to hand it in the next day and losing easy points on assignments, trouble focusing. So these are the things that a parent should look for. Absolutely, as well as a pediatrician, an educator, or any relative involved in the care of the child. And just as a matter of, shall we say, for the record, you talked about the hyperactivity, inattention, and impulsivity. People may look this up and, and find that these are known as the domains of attention deficit disorders. Right. There's, you have to be very careful to distinguish between traits and a diagnosis. A clinical diagnosis of ADHD, first and foremost, symptoms have to be apparent before the age of seven. Okay. So if you're in the midst of a divorce and not making your mortgage payments and you're 50 and you're forgetful, but you were a class A student and never had issues in your pediatric years, you don't really have, as far as we know, scientifically termed ADHD. Okay. That's the first thing. The second thing is that... Um, you have to have two settings, namely a home and a school setting. Now, of course, that becomes challenging in adult ADHD because we're not in school anymore as adults for the most part. We're at work. So we may, maybe we'll look at a home and a work setting. But it has to be two settings and symptoms somewhere along the line before the age of seven. When you and I were kids, there was very little thoughtfulness, awareness, and research around this diagnosis. So when we're treating adults, we really have to get a, a good 
good history. And perhaps the adult really has to go back and speak to his mother or father or try to trace his history a bit to get an idea of what his elementary education years were like. When I was in school, the entire notion of this disorder was, shall we say, early on, not really fully thought out. I remember teachers of mine saying that it was attention deficit disorder, comma, R for residual. And that's how they talked about it when it went into adulthood. Well, that was actually quite sophisticated for back then. Most of the times back then, you were either a bad, naughty, or nasty child, or you were the good kid. And unfortunately, what happens in ADHD is because children have, in some level, a great deal of impulsivity, they may blurt out, they may interrupt, they can be terribly impatient, they have low frustration tolerance, they easily get bored with mentally taxing work, they may look quite like the quote-unquote bad kid, when they're really not a bad kid. They really have a brain-based disease that is interfering with their progress, which needs to be addressed. And how much do we know about the brain-based disease? Do we have an etiology? Do we have a sense of what is going wrong biologically with them? We do. Of course, it's limited, and we need more research, like every area of science. But we do have some understanding that we have a lower dopamine level and problematic areas of structuring in the brain, primarily in the frontal portion of the brain, and specifically in the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which we'll go into more when we talk about medication. There's also some talk about another hormone in the brain, namely norepinephrine, also having irregularities in this disorder. Okay, so let's make the jump into the treatment because it seems paradoxical. We're giving something that's a stimulant for most people, and it seems to calm them down. And it was very interesting in preparing to talk to you today. I found an old psychopharmacology book published in 1960. It talked about how the difference between children and adults is that with stimulants, children find it sedating and adults find it exciting. That's it. No more, no less. That's, and we now know it's clearly not that simple, but it's something obviously that has been discussed. So let me ask you then, why do we use stimulants? It's, again, it seems paradoxical. Well, you, you use a, a good word. It is paradoxical. I don't have ADHD. If I were to take an amphetamine compound, I'd be up all night or possibly even get agitated or anxious. However, for the most part, if I did have ADHD, it does have a reverse effect of me of actually calming me down and helping me sit still and focus. Now, that's not to say that sometimes a child who does have ADHD and does get a compound like a Ritalin or amphetamine compound they may get irritable or anxious on it, but that's different. They may be having an adverse effect just on that particular drug. Or it could be the incorrect diagnosis? It could, but we don't like to look at it specifically just as, let's go to the doctor, try this pill, and see if this is your diagnosis or not. That's not how we really want to approach it. We want to approach it very thoughtfully where we've really gotten a good history and collateral information and then had a sense, a greater sense of confidence that this very well may be the diagnosis, just this may not be the right pill. Okay, fair enough. Absolutely fair enough. So let's talk a little bit about some of these stimulants. The, the classic one for most people is Ritalin. It's an old medication. It does work, but we have different ones now. Is there any sort of protocol of how you decide to use an amphetamine salt, a Ritalin, something else? The psychostimulants, and namely the two subcategories that you mentioned, which is the dexedrine and the Ritalin subset families, are the gold standard of treatment for ADHD and have been since the 1950s or even before. However, they are not for everyone because of many rate-limiting steps. First of all, I can tell you that 90% of kids on average will respond to one or other, either a dexedrine or Ritalin compound. Now, 
many psychiatrists are no longer using dexedrine or Ritalin per se because there are lots of fancy, long-acting compounds on the market. If I had to name them Concerta or Adderall XR or Vyvanse or Detrana or Focalin XR, there are plenty. And, and that's actually nice because we have a greater armamentarium now in psychiatry to sort of pick the right drug for, the, for each child. But there are issues with the meds. They can, the most importantly, curb appetite. And I think it's, it's a very maternal instinct to want to feed your kid and to worry about what your kid's eating at school. It's easy to get frustrated and worried about your child's development and progress, other than educational, but also medical. So decreased appetite. Sometimes the meds can decrease sleep at night if they're in the system too long. Many kids with ADHD, unfortunately, will not just have ADHD. With children looking more and more complex and with so much discussion about autism and what's happening in the world out there with children looking quite ill these days with many psychiatric components, many children with ADHD might have a component of a learning disability. They may have some comorbid anxiety components. They may have a broad developmental classification of Asperger's or autism, which ADHD is a component of. So the children are are relatively complex. And in a child psychiatry practice, by default, they're complex. Perhaps the first line of treatment in the pediatrician's office, he may have children who he sees who just have ADHD. There's also been a great deal of talk about looking at how far back we can go with bipolar disorder and obsessive compulsive disorders in children as well. So I agree with you. It is incredibly complex. It takes a very solid workup to make sure it's correct. When you start someone on a stimulant. Does it work quickly? Do you expect results in a week, in a month? How do you dose it? I'm sorry. Getting back to your prior point, we generally start with stimulants if we don't see any significant contraindications. Significant contraindications may be glaucoma, maybe a cardiac, uh, either a congenital cardiac defect or a significant history of arrhythmia that's malignant in the family. There's some cardiac concerns with the stimulants, which might make us concerned. Perhaps if we have had severe growth, we or issues around growth. So there's certain things that might hold us back from starting a stimulant. But for the most, most cases, we will start with a stimulant. You know, depending on the length of the school day, the demands of the family, homework time, the age and weight of the child, we may either start with a Ritalin compound or an Adderall compound, and, and namely maybe one of the brand names that I mentioned earlier. We may tinker a little bit if we don't have an initial response. We may either up the dose or switch the compound within the same family to another agent, but still within the same family, and we might fuss a little bit in that area. However, if we're starting to have continued problems, either response or side effects or safety issues, we're going to change families. And nowadays, what's been very exciting in the last couple of years is the onset of more and more types of families of other than stimulants to try for ADHD. And I want to get to that in a second, but a question comes to mind, and it's often asked to me, how long do kids need to be on the medication? Is it something that they're going to be on for the rest of their life? And what about this old notion that keeps popping up of the medication holiday, not doing it on weekends, not doing it during Christmas vacation? Is there any hard evidence to say that's good idea or a bad idea? As far as the question about how long does a kid have to be on it, it's it's a $64,000 question. No one really knows. No one knows what kind of quality of ADHD you have, how it's being expressed. Is it something you might outgrow partially? Is it something you won't outgrow? And you, No one knows if you're going to be a chef or a car salesman or be in a profession that may not require such focus or if you so so getting back to your question generally the answer is for the formative school years if it's significant moderate to severe ADHD we're generally looking at some form of treatment 
throughout the formative school years and college. And then there'll be, you know, there'll, there'll be a constant reassessment while this child is growing up because families really do need to know that this is something they need to follow closely with their physicians. They need to work as a team. It's not that they just take a script and walk away. Absolutely. And the holidays? The holidays are, are sort of, that's, that's sort of for each child a different story. There may be a kid who has no behavioral issues, just a component of in, inattentiveness, who doesn't eat very well on the stimulant. For that child, it may be very appropriate to take a break over summer vacations or hot weekends, and they'll function quite well. For other children who have a significant behavioral component or who may be tolerating the stimulant very well without side effects, you may want to keep it year-round for greater benefit, not just academically, but socially, for their self-esteem, for their social development, for their family development. Okay. So this makes sense, actually. It makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things that's very exciting is that in the last couple years, there have been some new medications. One of them is known as Stratera. And the other one is Intuniv, and it's also known as guanfacine. Are these medications the same? Are they better? Are they worse? Is it just a matter of them being different? How do we approach them? How does a parent know if it's a good idea or not to use one of the new ones? Well, partly the, the way they know is to work with their physician and ask lots of questions and make sure they're an informed parent. I think that both agents actually have an old story to them. Stratera works on primarily norepinephrine, and in the 70s and in the 60s, we used to use the tricyclic antidepressants. We used to use agents such as disipramine or nortriptyline. These are old antidepressants that used to have a nice effect also on norepinephrine, just like Stratera. However, those medicines came under a great deal of criticism because there were some concerns about sudden cardiac death in teenagers. Intuniv, again, is a long-acting agent off of an older medication called Tenex. Tenex and clonidine are actually old-school antihypertensives, blood pressure medicines that have actually been really revamped and used quite a bit in ADHD and been very successful. They not only have helped with focus, but they have a very nice effect on behavior, impulsivity. They can help with sleep, which is an issue for many of these children, as well as something we haven't talked about, which is tics or Tourette's, yes, which many of these kids. Well. So, so they have a nice balancing sort of crossover. They also have a calming effect for those children who have anxiety components. So an intuitive is very exciting because it's 24-hour acting. So that's very, that, there's a lot of beneficial qualities. So does it work at a cellular level in a manner very similar to the amphetamines? Not necessarily. All the meds obviously cross a blood-brain barrier and work on the central nervous system. The minutia of the mechanism of action has never been clearly, is still being clearly detailed, but essentially it's working on alpha-2 receptors in the central nervous system and working to calm the brain down. It also can work indirectly through those receptor sites on norepinephrine terminals in the brain as well. So if a child is on an amphetamine and they're not sleeping well, that might be one reason to consider switching to the Intuniv? Yes, switch or add-on. Okay. Okay. You know, many times, unfortunately, we need we may need more than one agent because we're, we're dealing with a latitude, multitude of symptoms. So there may be some benefits. Let's say we could lower the stimulant dose and add on the Intuniv and get sort of a balance where we were eating better on okay. the stimulant. And now Intuniv is sort of carrying over, helping through homework time, helping with sleep. There can be sort of a balancing act. And that's why 
it's sort of a, that, that's why it is a fine art. And it's a 24-hour medication. It is a 24-hour acting. So there is technically, in my practice, I don't do drug holidays on it. You need a bit of a buildup, whereas with the stimulant, it's in and out of your system within usually about 12 or 13 hours at the most. An agent like Intuniv may need about two weeks or more to really take full effect. And there's also a startup on Intuniv. We need to start at one milligram, and generally for most kids, progress to two or three milligrams. It also does come in a four milligram strength. So it takes a little while to get it going and to adjust the dose. What's interesting is that not too many years ago in the history of psychiatry, when amphetamines and Ritalin and those types of medications were being used, they would be given to the child before they went to school roughly 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And then the medication needed to be repeated roughly noon or 1 o'clock. And there was a whole flurry of activities about getting the nurse at the school or some teacher to be responsible to give the child the medication. And that's one of the big reasons that the development of longer-acting medications came about. This is a 24-hour medication. It seems like we're finally getting at something more, what's the word, substantive about total control of a condition. Right, because ADHD doesn't stop when school stops. And ADHD doesn't even stop when homework stops. There's evening routines. There's balancing acts between siblings. There's so many other things that are going on. This has only been approved now for children. So I would assume there will be clinical studies to see if and how it can be used in other age groups. I would hope so. But as we stand here today, it's only for children. Correct. We covered a great deal of territory, and I thank you. Dr. Priti Kotari is a child psychiatrist in Palm Beach County. She has taken us on a fascinating tour of a very complex area. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you.